Support for the South Carolina lead is made possible in part by Columbia Metropolitan Airport. For more information, flycae.com. Hello and welcome to the South Carolina lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on February 21st, 2022 from my home studio here in Columbia. Happy President's Day. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a portion of my recent conversation with University of South Carolina history professor, Dr. Bobby Donaldson, about civil rights history and the chilling effect of critical race theory bills. We're in the final days of Supreme Court Watch 2022. Supreme Court Watch 2022. And we look at a busy week in the statehouse, from budget movement to banning public employer vaccine mandates and more. In business, we learn about the economic toll domestic violence takes in our state, with data from a new study by USC research economist Dr. Joey Von Nessen. Also, we want to hear your stories. That's why we have a voice mailbox set up. Many of you have been calling. We love your calls. Keep them coming. You can do so by calling 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your neck of the woods. One, two, three minutes long, please. We beg you. (laughs) But let us know. We love hearing from you guys. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. I actually don't have the latest COVID data for you because we're taping this podcast on President's Day, like I said, which is a state holiday. And that means DHEC offices are closed, but we'll have more for you later this week. We're going to start off our politics section with a Supreme Court Watch 2022 update. Supreme Court Watch 2022. Within the next few days, we will find out who President Joe Biden is nominating to replace retiring Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. We know the president is considering four black female jurists, including Federal District Court of South Carolina Judge Michelle Childs. She saw in House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn has touted, and Senator Lindsey Graham as well, saying that he'd be able to get Republican support for her confirmation. Now, all of this is happening as the United States engages in last-minute diplomatic efforts ahead of a likely Russian invasion of Ukraine and Biden's State of the Union address on March 1st. Whoever gets the nomination could be confirmed by the Senate by April 9th, according to Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin. We will be watching, reporting, and analyzing any developments for you. Let's come back to South Carolina for a minute. Last week, I spoke with Dr. Bobby Donaldson, a history professor at the University of South Carolina and the director of the school's Center for Civil Rights History and Research. On This Week in South Carolina, we discussed the center's recent $1.5 million gift, untold civil rights history in the state, and how critical race theory continues to have a chilling effect on teaching important black history that few people already learn about. Here's Dr. Donaldson. As you think about the long arc of the struggle for democracy in this country, uh, the long arc about constitutional rights, For me as a historian, it's very difficult to separate any of that from a discussion of of race and race relations uh, in this country. Um, This is is what what I teach every day about the civil rights movement. And to talk about civil rights, it it simply cannot be the heroic story of the demonstrator or the heroic story of, of Rosa Parks. It has to be the story of a much more complicated nature. It has to be the story of the opposition 
uh, these persons face. It has to be the profound opposition of state leadership uh, during that time. And I think part of it is it's an uncomfortable uh, history, but it's one that we should not run away from. And I think part of what we're seeing now is an effort to silence and an effort to erase some aspects of our history. Um, and I think that's a very, very dangerous proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the work we do at the center is to base our interpretation and our presentation of history on the sources that are before us and to use those sources to tell as comprehensive a history as we can. And so I'm troubled by some of the politics we see today. And it's ironic, Gavin, Tuesday, we were celebrating this major investment by um, a corporate entity in the support of the work we're doing. And on Wednesday, the next day, there were over five hours of testimony about history, education, and critical race theory in South Carolina. And Professor, you kind of walked right into my second question there because I was at that hearing, that House Education Committee hearing at the State House, where we saw State Superintendent of Ed- Education Molly Spearman talking about the, these bills, these five bills dealing with CRT, uh, which again is a very loosely defined thing. Even lawmakers who are proposing these bills really couldn't come up with a working definition of what critical race theory is. A lot of people don't know what it is, but they know that they're afraid of it. Uh, do you have a working definition, or do you tell people what it is when they ask you because of your? State with in the history department? No, I can tell you what civil rights history is. That's what I'm trained to do. Mm-hmm. Um, critical race theory is a loaded term, but I do believe that there is no serious deliberations about what it has meant intellectually and what it has meant scholarly, particularly among legal scholars uh, who have helped shape that field. It's almost as though it's now becoming a buzz, buzzword uh, to capture all things related to diversity and equity uh, in, in education. And as I said before, I believe that is a very dangerous uh, proposition and a road to travel. But Gavin, I've taught at the University of South Carolina for 22 years. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time here teaching diverse students from diverse backgrounds. Uh, and w- what I see now is an effort to kind of put a break on that type of teaching. Not long ago, there was a professor uh, in Florida who it was a civil rights historian who someone sort of accused of being a critical, critical race theory. Uh, And this man's public speech was canceled as a result. And again, I think when we move in that direction of trying to censor scholarship, uh, that is a very dangerous direction to go in. Mm -hmm. And the superintendent at that hearing said, uh, this is a dangerous path we could be going down. We have to be very, very careful. Teaching history comprehensively and accurately is key. Partisanship and passing along personal biases are not. So I think that's a, another issue too that we've kind of seen come to the forefront, especially with parents teaching from home, uh, children being remote during this pandemic. You know, a current a current events lesson in you know high school or middle school all of a sudden becomes a worrisome uh, fodder for critical race theory when it's just discussing the events of of the day essentially. It's true, and I, you know I come with this as a PhD and academic scholar in in civil rights and African American history. But I also come to this as a citizen and as a father of an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old who are in our public schools. Uh, and I want to make sure that the, the histories they're taught is a history that reflects the history that I've done work on for two decades. So what you do not want is this perception that democracy is an uncomplicated process. Because our state is a, is a rich state in, in so many respects, and you want to be sure that the students of this state come away with a very strong knowledge of South Carolina history 
but also the role the state has played in the country. I spoke with Dr. Donaldson for the entire episode, and that was just a portion of our discussion. You can catch the whole show on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV or on ETV Fridays at 7.30 p.m. and Sundays at 1.30 p.m. Now let's go to the state house. Last week, the House and Senate passed their own slightly similar versions of how to spend $2.5 billion in American Rescue Plan money. Most of that money has been slated for transportation infrastructure, broadband, and water and sewer infrastructure. There are slight differences that will soon be ironed out. Also, the Senate passed their plan for spending the $525 million in Savannah Riverside settlement dollars from the federal government. It will go toward a variety of initiatives in the immediate and surrounding counties, as well as some money for other state needs. Here's what we're watching in the Senate this week. A bill H3126 prohibits public employer vaccine mandates. You may remember that House Republicans pushed it through in special session last December, and now it is set to be approved by the Senate Finance Committee on Tuesday. This comes after a subcommittee hearing last week, which featured the unusual move of hearing testimony from a non-committee member. That was Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey. The bill, which would ban public employers from mandating COVID vaccinations, like some local governments and public safety agencies have done, would also require those patients removed from MUSC's organ transplant list for not getting the vaccine to be restored to the list. With Massey pushing this bill, it looks like it will be the Senate's priority, likely next week. Senate Judiciary will look at several Convention of States bills, a fentanyl trafficking and drug-induced homicide bill, as well as one that would deem church services essential and allowed to operate during a state of emergency. Senate Education will look at education savings accounts. That's the bill S-935 on Wednesday. On Thursday, there will be a medical affairs subcommittee hearing on the bill S-2, which will break up DHEC. So far, a full medical affairs committee meeting isn't scheduled. Last Thursday, members were against returning after the Senate adjournment to take up controversial abortion bills. And you can also expect some more Democrats to take to the Senate floor to express points of personal interest over the hate crimes bill that is currently blocked from debate by 10 Republican senators. Over the weeks, three Democrats have spoken about the need for the penalty enhancement legislation, which passed the House last year with broad bipartisan support. Now here's what we're watching in the House this week. On Tuesday, the full House Ways and Means Committee will meet to take up the Republican income tax cut bill, which we heard about last week. That's H4880. And also a bill to ask voters to amend the Constitution to increase reserve funding. The budget is also before the committee. Now, the budget will soon be passed out of the full House Ways and Means Committee and printed next week. The week of March 8th, House members will receive it. And the following week, March 14th, is House Budget Week. That's right. Floor deliberations, billions of dollars, late nights, tense debates, hangry lawmakers. It's all there. And we'll have it for you when it happens. Let's start off with having a little bit of fun with data. Now, I understand there's data. That's right. Numbers and you. It's hard to compile data. Axios reported that retail sales grew 3.8% in January from December, per an initial Commerce Department report last week. Now, remember, prices also increased 0.6% in January. Okay, so translation, people still love to shop despite the high prices. Well, sort of. U.S. consumer sentiment has fallen to a more than 10-year low as inflation has been rising at its fastest pace in 40 years. Okay, so you're telling me that we're still shopping like crazy, even with high prices, but we hate ourselves for it too. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm guessing it's probably still a lot of backordered merchandise like AT's couch that he ordered a year ago that will soon be shipped to him next month. So things like that. However, we'll still be watching for when and how big any slowdown may be. Remember, this is a delicate walk that the feds have to deal with when it comes to raising rates next month and also when they wrap up their asset purchase program that's been juicing markets since the start of the pandemic. And then you got Ukraine <laughs> and Russia. But AT at least is getting his couch. That's one consumer who has positive sentiment. Moving on, I know we always throw a bunch of numbers at you. I mean, I just did. And that's data that maybe doesn't always sink in, which is totally understandable. But last week, I covered an event on domestic violence, a scourge that we know the human cost of all too well in our state. And for the first time, we got a look at the economic impact of it. Research economist Dr. Joey Von Nessen of the Darla Moore School of Business at the University of South Carolina found that domestic violence cost the state $358.4 million in 2020. Here's more from Joey. We can look at this number in a couple of different ways. It includes both the explicit costs of domestic violence as well as what we call hidden costs of domestic violence. The explicit costs are those that perhaps we're a bit more familiar with. Those, those are uh, those involved with program initiatives designed for prevention, shelters, uh, general support mechanisms for, uh, for victim support and public awareness, and also health care and other support services that follow a domestic violence incident that are needed for support. Also police costs as well as uh, court costs. So all of those involved what we consider the explicit costs of, of domestic violence in South Carolina. But there are also hidden costs involved as well that we don't necessarily think about as often. And this simply refers to the harm and general well-being of the victims themselves and their families not being able to return to their normal lives, either temporarily or permanently. Now, it's impossible to capture or to quantify these hidden costs completely, uh, but this study does examine worker productivity losses associated with domestic violence in South Carolina as a means to provide a conservative estimate of what this may, may look like. Again, a way to provide a, a one measure of the hidden costs. And we estimate that that totals about $153 million annually for South Carolina, which represents about 43% of the total cost of domestic violence in the state. While those costs are worrisome, it's nothing compared to the human toll that has regularly kept the state atop lists of the number of women killed by men annually. Sarah Barber, executive director of the South Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault, says these problems hide in plain sight, with the study noting annually 82,379 South Carolinians will be victims of intimate partner violence. Here's Sarah. We lose around 50 people a year to homicide at the hands of intimate partners, and that's every year. And while we cannot and we should not try to place a dollar amount on the suffering borne by so many, this report does provide us a view of the economic impact of this violence on our state. Sometimes, as has been mentioned, it takes hard numbers to make us see with clarity. $358 million a year is a huge number and a number that should grab your attention and focus it on creating strategies that will lead to the change we say we want. We have to talk, but we also have to do more. We must invest in prevention. Around 10% of female high school students report experiencing physical or sexual violence from an intimate partner. If we do not start implementing large-scale prevention efforts that are responsive to the needs of different communities of young people, we are not going to be able to change these numbers, not the financial impact, nor the victimization numbers. Orangeburg Democratic Representative Gilda Cobb-Hunter, who works as a social work administrator, was thrilled that USC undertook the study, 
commissioned by the Jamie Kimball Foundation for Courage and other foundations. Cobb Hunter said the study provides needed data to help communities and others understand this problem outside of the disturbing and saddening anecdotes of abuse. What we believe very clearly in this work is that domestic violence is a community problem that requires a community response. It's something that has to be all hands on deck. It is something that we must come to terms with. And I stand here as a legislator who is in my 31st session uh, to tell you that we have passed a number of laws through the years on this issue, but you can pass all the legislation in the world. We have got to be about changing the minds and hearts of the people in the community. One way to tackle domestic violence early on would be the passage of a teen dating violence bill that would increase education outreach efforts, as well as protect a vulnerable population who may not fully understand healthy boundaries and communication that can cultivate abusive behaviors and realities. It's been years since any such legislation has gained traction in the state. And on the way out, I have a streaming recommendation for you. On this podcast, whenever I bring up Boeing, you know we're talking about the 787 Dreamliner built in North Charleston. But you also probably remember the 737 MAX debacle that gripped the world following two plane crashes involving the new jet leading to its grounding worldwide. A new disturbing documentary on Netflix titled Downfall provides incredible detail of these tragedies, what Boeing knew, and why it was so slow to act. There's great history in the documentary and gives a too-close-for-comfort feeling as we now see regulators taking an even bigger role in the company's manufacturing problems around the 787. Downfall is streaming on Netflix now. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and wanted to hear your stories as well. Tell us your thoughts on the news, what you're up to these days. It's about to be 86 degrees this week. It's still February. <laughs> What's going on? Let us know. Hide your daffodils. Stay underground, guys. It's still going to be cold out there. Uh, but yes, spring is getting close. Um, let us know what you're up to. We want to hear from you guys. 803-563-7169. It doesn't all have to be about the pandemic, which according to some people, is winding down. That's what it sounds like, mm. AT. We're, we're moving yeah. on. We're learning to live with it. It's as that, we have it, been for It's not the years, end plus. times. It's the endemic times, right? Hey, there we go. All why right, don't we yeah. use that for the title of last week's podcast? That's a good title. Well, I don't really this was good, too. No, I, everyone forget that I said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down, though, for real. I will. I'll put, put it on the board. Up, I'll put it up on the board. Okay, Gavin. Well, we're going to do a two for today because okay. we got two, two, two short ones. Uh, uh, the the tone's very different. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Let's start with uh, the, the more serious one first, okay? You're going to have some explaining to do. <laughs> okay. It's Gina in Aiken. I am not happy with DHIC's decision not to report COVID positive numbers. Hospitalization and death rates are lagging indicators. How are we, who take COVID seriously, able to gauge community spread now? Are any other places doing this? Or are we the uh, lone wolf in making this kind of decision? Money should not be an issue for DHIC with the millions of dollars pouring into South Carolina from the federal government. Thank you. 
Hey, Gina. Yes, I know a lot of people aren't crazy about this change that DHEC is making. Uh, we're not a lone wolf when it comes down to this. Dr. Traxer said that other states are looking at weekly indicators more as well, and that will also provide them with an idea of where trends are going. I know it's probably helpful for us to see the daily stuff, but a lot of times you've heard me report looking at what weeks were our, our worst weeks, wh where we are in terms of previous surges. So I think that's what they're kind of migrating closer towards at this point, which is just looking at that weekly data versus the daily data. So uh, yes, it's a change, but like they said, if anything big happens, they will revert back to giving us as much information as we need. But at this time, it sounds like AT was saying it's more of the endemic times. Exactly, yeah. And looking at handling this from a, a little bit more of a broader perspective. I don't think it's them saying like, oh, we're done with it. I think it's yeah. more along the lines of, hey, we're two and a half years into this yeah. now. Like, let, we're going to learn to live and with like this. And like I said, you know, and I asked them, you know, it's like, let's have this weekly flu watch report type thing where we can yeah. see where flu is and we can tell you, hey, flu is widespread now or it's sporadic now. Um, I think that's exactly where this is going to be. So we'll be keeping you updated. So don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll be here. Don't worry. We're not stopping. It's so, kinda, Gina, thank you for listening. It was kind of funny. Like, uh, you know, looking back at you, remember the times maybe last summer when I was like, oh, I guess this thing is kind of blowing over. We were thinking about... <laughs> You know, well, we, we weren't we saying aired widespread a promo. anymore, you know? Do you remember we <laughs> yeah. aired a promo? We were like, the, the pandemic is it's winding, winding down. down. And then, and then someone <laughs> called in was like, you may want to change that. Because <laughs> yeah, then, like, yeah, then Delta came, we're like, ugh. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. well, we're going to pull that Yeah, promo. hopefully we won't have to see something like that again. But, I mean, you know, next winter is going to be, who knows? We'll see. I mean, <laughs> yeah. who who can really know? I, yeah. I, I have no idea Some how it's going to be. Yeah, who knows? Uh, anyway, our next Gavin, thank you. Gina, thank you. Thank you, Gina. Yeah, we love that. We love that feedback. That's good. That helps us know what people are thinking about. And I, I love know, the fire, Gina. Well, yeah. Yes. Public health people <laughs> want to know what people are thinking about too. So, good stuff. Okay, so the next call is uh, decidedly a different tone, and we know exactly the caller. Mm. So, uh, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's. I'm go. ready. Okay. Hey guys, this is Amy from Lexington, a longtime listener, first time caller. I want to dive in on the rants debate. Um, I will preface this by saying I do not. Uh, use ranch for my pizza, generally save it for a salad. But if I go to a restaurant and I get french fries and the restaurant has decided to be cheap and not get Heinz ketchup, then I will order ranch for my french fries. Do not bring me fancy ketchup, Hunt's ketchup, generic ketchup. Heinz is the only ketchup I will eat. Now, having said that, there's also a bacon ranch burger that used to be sold at Vickery's in Charleston, that was magical. So besides salad, fries, and that Vickery's burger, that's all Ranch belongs on. Y'all have a good one. Uh, Amy. Now, Amy from Lexington, we should tell you, is a.k.a. Amy <laughs> yeah. Crouch, who is ETV's news director slash my yeah, boss she's, over in she's TV. She's our boss, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I will say, I'm not going to hold back here what I have to say to my boss. I'm going to say it right no. now. We would say this to her face. And I mean, we know she's going to listen to this also. So. But I also, uh, I completely agree with Amy. I'm not saying that because I'm worried about any sort of retaliatory effort if I speak out against her. And I, I mean, I completely agree with the stance on Heinz. If, it, if they don't have Heinz and I want ketchup, I'm going to be like, yeah, give me ranch or, or any other condiment at that point besides uh, your, your fake fancy ketchup. Mm. It depends. I'll, I, nah. I'll slum it with ketchup sometimes because yeah, with French fries, I, I, I sort of need ketchup on it. You know what I mean? But I'm definitely not going to put ranch on it. You know, I think, and it's also interesting here, and we could probably do this when we do our uh, field trip for pizza, 
Mm-hmm. Would Amy even know a blind taste test of Heinz ketchup oh, versus fancy? Because do, if do we bring it out to you and it's yes. in a little cup, she doesn't know what it is, perhaps. So I, I bet she could. I, I maybe bet the really situation. cheap ones she could. Sure. She could get. Well, they get a little I, too sweet. Yeah, I, I bet she couldn't tell Hunts from Heinz. Oof, I like this. You know, oh, it's, like, it's it's stacking up now. Yeah, I bet she couldn't do that. Um, yeah. And as far as a bacon ranch burger goes, okay, mm. I have a few problems there because can you even taste a burger there? No, like, that's not the point. Would you might as well just <laughs> toast some bread and put bacon and ranch on Oh, there's it, meat there. It. There's meat flavor in there, AT. There's meat. Kind of. A ranch love. is so if ranch is just so flavorful mm-hmm. that it, you can't taste anything else. And then the, if, <laughs> if it's more flavorful than bacon, like <laughs> can you taste it? I bet right now I could taste it. I was, with, say, with, with, I was just gonna say I want your first taste back to reality to be ranch. <laughs> oh gosh, no! I think like, take be, it away, take it away again. Uh, I don't yeah, want to lose. I, I want to lose my taste again. <laughs> <laughs> Local man says, take my taste away. I hate ranch. Oh, gosh. So have we talked about then where for you ranch is really an acceptable condiment? This is just ranch. Even- I just I, I think coming from a place where ranch isn't massively consumed to the level. Mm. I like I like cool ranch Doritos. Like I truly do like those. But a derivative. W- Yeah, but if I'm saying like if I'm gonna have a salad, I'd rather have a vinaigrette. You know, yes. Um, If I'm gonna have a pizza, I don't need ranch on it. Mm -hmm. If I'm gonna have any sandwich, there are a million other condiments that I would rather Mm -hmm. have that I think complement things. And I I don't I just don't think ranch complements anything. It's just like kicking down the door, Kool Aid Man style, saying like flavor (laughs) ranch, baby. That's exactly (laughs) right. You know, like I don't like it on salads either because I'm not. It's just I. Well, I just know better. (laughs) I want like a light dressing. I like my olive oil based dressings. You know. Yes, things like that. Uh, If if you could just give me olive oil, Mm -hmm. balsamic vinegar, salt and pepper. That's what I'm saying, baby. I I prefer that on a salad. And then also, I think the only time I really do ranch it up is with dipping. And I've talked about this before that we use the ranch packet with a bunch of Greek yogurt, and you can just pour it in, and you get a healthier version of ranch, and you still get the flavor, but knowing it's not as bad for you. <laughs> so, and that's what I'm dipping, like, you know, like, you know, vegetables in it. That's about the extent of my ranch obsession. I would use tzatziki again. I would use tzatziki there, uh, yeah. like 10 times out of 10, or labneh or something like that. But I, I, I am a Middle Eastern man, so um, I, uh, I, I, I'm a little biased there. So I get why Southerners like it. They grow up eating it, so they love it. And the same thing with me with, with hummus and uh, tzatziki and stuff like that. So I get it. But uh, I also do not want to eat it. I think it's gross. Yeah, you're not putting tzatziki <laughs> on your pizza. You know what I mean? No. Which, no, 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 no. We'll just put that on Stop some. it. No, which, let's, not eat, let's, let's not. If let's I do a Greek pizza, you're like, don't talk about Greek pizza. That's not a stop, thing. Stop, stop. Not a thing. Right, just like, say ah. goodbye to the folks. Say goodbye yeah, to the folks. You, before you create a monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, thanks for listening as always. Thank you to Gina and to Amy for calling. We love hearing from you guys. Be like them. Give us a call at 803-563-7169. We probably opened up a bunch of jars of worms that eat different toppings and may or may not need may or ranch. May not like good ketchup or ranch. So uh, we're back on it, folks. Let us know your thoughts, of course. 803-563-7169. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well out there, South Carolina. Ranch! All right, we're going to kick this off. Okay, we're going to kick this off. Okay. Okay. 
And take it and and go, and go and re- go again. Go restart. Restart. Go. Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host Gavin Jackson. And-